Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Dr. Anthony Balduzzi, The Fit Father Project and The Fit Mother Project. The, you're the go-to guy for these, these busy folks that are trying to raise kids. Oh my gosh, it must be so uh, different uh, these days when uh, there's no place to send the kids and uh, things are even more hectic and, and crazy than before. Uh, so thanks for joining me. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks, Brad. Tell me about the projects, man. Well, so we have the Fit Father Project and Fit Mother Project, and uh, my team and I, we dedicate our lives to helping busy moms and dads, particularly um, over 40, build simple and sustainable health and fitness routines so that they can lose weight and feel amazing themselves, also raise healthy kids, and be around to see you know their kids and grandkids grow up. And the reason I got so passionate about this was because growing up, I watched my own dad struggle tremendously with his health. Um, he ended up getting sick and dying at 42 years young. And I was just nine at the time and my little brother was six. And I think like a lot of parents, my dad was doing everything he thought he should be doing to provide for us, like working his butt off. Um, and I was at the expense of his health, you know, not taking care of his nutrition and his exercise, getting overwhelmed with stress. Um, and I learned a lesson through my dad's passing. And that was as busy parents, um, as individuals who want to perform at a high level, health is the foundation of everything we love. Because when we lose our health, we lose our ability to do all of that, to be around with our kids, to pursue those passions and hobbies. And so that's what really set me on this path to figuring out what does it take, um, not only just to like achieve a high level of health, fitness, energy, and vibrancy, but to make it simple and sustainable for busy people. Um, because I think when you look in this whole health landscape, there's a bunch of different people with, you know, different levels of interest. They are on one, on one end of the spectrum. We may have the people who are biohackers who are super interested in optimizing every little bit detail of their things. Then the other end of the spectrum, we just have like everyday people that are like, man, I just don't want to hurt. I want to have more energy and I want to lose 40 pounds. And so our team is really specialized, and I'd say helping this second class of people, like everyday moms and dads who want to lose weight and live healthier. And we've developed an, an amazing program and system where we've helped over 30,000 men and women through our programs in over 100 countries get the weight off and, and help their families live healthier too. So that's why I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to like spread the good word on what we figured out regarding how to make health and fitness simple, sustainable, and talk about anything health in general. You know, I've been a student of this for over two decades, and and I love the transformation I get to see when people can take control of this area of their life because when that foundation becomes stronger and you have a healthier, more vibrant body, everything you do gets better. Well said, especially these days when I'm, I'm getting increasingly frustrated with uh, you know, all the progress and the forward movement of society and our phones work better and better and the technology, uh, but we still have the same problems that existed uh, decades ago that your your father struggled through. I, I'm so sorry to hear that story. It's such an inspiring way to, you know, to, to get off onto your life path. But, um, you know, we should know better by now. And we still don't. We still have a flawed approach to fitness. And we still have people juggling too many things, sacrificing their health, and then realizing that they're making their own uphill battle even more uphill because they they fail to put health first. And I'm wondering, like, you know, you're in this battle every single day as I am. I wonder what the, you know, the, the tipping point is going to be to where people 
just have this basic assumption that we do have to take care of our, our sleep and our nutrition before we worry about our email inbox. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, so well said. A couple things. Like, let's unpack that because I think it's a, such a valuable piece of conversation that we could have. And the first thing is to understand that the reason people are not living healthier is not due to a lack of information. There has never been more abundance of different tips, strategies, diet plans, workouts that people could implement. Health and fitness ultimately is a behaviors game, a habits game, a consistency game. And the first thing we need to understand is when we are busy and we feel like our lives are pulling us in many different directions, the things that we're going to do are the things that we feel like we must do. We meet our musts. So there's not too many parents we meet that really say, hey, Dr. A, you know, I'm just so busy today. I'm not going to feed my kids today. I'm just too busy. You know, like, um, you sorry, you got lots of meetings. They, they, they'll be okay. People don't say that. Why? Because we feel like that's a foundational value. Like we're here to provide for our families. They need to eat. We're going to do that no matter what. But we don't have that same relationship with our health. And I think this is because people don't um, understand how foundational health is to all the other values that they hold. It's the neuro associations that people create around those habits that enable them to stick to them or not stick to them. So for you and me, uh, guys who have pursued health and fitness for a long time, like we have deep neuro associations around why these things are essential. So for us, it almost feels automatic. We just do it because it's so deeply tied. So the first thing we do with our program members before they even start any meal plans or workouts is we have them go through this mission statement creation process. That's like some some real journaling and some real reflection and contemplation on basically looking at how does having a vibrant body or on the converse, a body that does not feel good, that does not look good, that, that we're not happy with, how does that affect every area of life? How does your health and fitness affect your finances? How is it affecting your ability to focus and show up at work? How is it affecting your ability to be a parent, to pursue those hobbies and passions? How does it affect your spiritual connection? And when you can start to see that ultimately your health is connected in some way to all of these areas, it's going to have a lot more gravity and weight the next time you feel that resistance to like, man, I really just don't feel like eating healthy today or exercising. You're not just making it as a decision around how this physical body appears, it is something that is far more reaching. And this is important to note because when you get to the point where you can develop this mission statement, you're trying to get healthier and you can connect your health decisions to all of your core values, you're tapping into a much deeper motivational framework that's going to enable you to stay on track when inevitably habits take some, take some effort and work to, to build through. So um, those neuro associations are important and that takes us constant reflection because a lot of men and women we work with, they're like, hey, I'm 50. You know, I, you should have seen me when I was 20. I was pretty hot. Like, I liked how I looked back then, but I don't care as much right now about that. Okay, understand. That's totally fine. But it's find out through this exploration that you do really care about being able to see your kids get married or your grandkids, great grandkids be born. Like, those things are valuable. Okay, let's tie your motivation to those things. Whew. Now, I'm thinking of the, the well meaning, well intentioned person who verbalizes all these top priorities and health is so important to me. And I know sleep is necessary and good nutrition. And then uh, life tends to uh, unravel and you get away from your, your best intentions. 
And you're kind of in this trap where you're speaking the game anytime anyone asks you uh, about that, but then you're not executing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you do in that, in that standpoint? Well, a couple of things. Yeah. I finished my journal, Dr. Balduzzi. Here it is. It says yeah. <laughs> uh, health, number one, sleep, nutrition, exercise. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So I, I think there's a, there's a couple saving graces, I guess you could say here. And that is the fact that when it comes to health and fitness, um, I love this analogy that a little hinge can swing a big door. So when you can develop some small systems around the key things, which I would say for someone looking to get healthy, the, the first two most important things are one, sleep and circadian rhythm, establishing that first, and then two, nutrition. And I want to talk about the systems around those two things. One of the big objections people have when they're looking to live healthier is like, I don't have the time to blank. Primarily exercise ends up being the main one because people are busy. They're like, I don't have time to like go carve out this thing. It's okay. Like we have program members who, who clean up their circadian rhythm and their sleep and just clean up their nutrition and lose a hundred pounds. Like it's, it's very possible when you get this body working right. So the first thing to do is to look at at least the morning and evening kind of like routine and the quality of the sleep because biologically speaking, sleep's our restoration cycle. Um, it corrects so many of our different hormones. It helps our bodies rejuvenate. And what do we find from the research? We've got two groups on diets. One group doesn't sleep well. One group does. The group who misses sleep loses less weight and loses more muscle mass, which when we're in our 40s, 50s, 60s, that's the worst case scenario. We want to maintain that for the metabolism. So if we can just first off audit the sleep, so look at what's the pattern like with sleep, some awareness to it. Are we know we're not getting enough. We have to get up and prop ourselves up with coffee every day. How do we just improve that one area? Even a little bit, even 30 minutes, even deeper quality, if not even more time. And that is the first thing. The second thing we can do is make nutrition proactive. And what that means for us is developing a set meal timing schedule. And I believe that's more important than people stressing out about which foods they're going to have. Because ultimately, where a lot of people get caught in this this cycle, like I wrote my mission statement, I'm not taking any action, is that the, the rest of their health, and nutri- their health and nutrition life is reactive instead of proactive. So we help people establish when are you going to eat? It could be intermittent fasting. It could be eight, noon, three, seven, whatever it is, but you kind of set that in stone and you have structure and then you can hang uh, the rest of your routine on that structure. Um, and, and, and I'll pause there because there's so many things I want to get on into the, the systems of nutrition. Um, but I, I think that the, the key, the first key idea before we get into the nitty gritty is that systems can remove decision points. It can smooth it out where you don't have to use as much willpower or exert as much thought. And that's going to help you stay consistent. Oh, I suppose if you're committing to a system and on the piece of paper, it says you're going to eat at 12 noon and 6 p.m. and it's 930 and you got your hand on the remote control and you're fidgeting around and you're, you're you know, trying to unwind after a busy day, um, but it doesn't say uh, midnight snack, binge stuff your face, mm-hmm. then it's just going it, to, it's going to be kind of off the table because you've committed to something else rather than making that decision every single night. Hey, do I deserve a pint of Ben and Jerry's? Sure, why not? Well said. That's such a beautiful insight. And that is really that if we can make a powerful decision ahead of time, it can kind of like pave the path and allow us to like hop on our own roller coaster. Like we've designed the track and we know where it's going to go. And it's not saying we're perfect every time, but it's saying that we're going to be a lot more likely to stay on track. So the the proactive meal timing schedule setup, the one that works for you best is going to be the one that you stick to. 
Another thing that we really like to do is to standardize the first couple meals of the day. Maybe it's, maybe it's like we are intermittent fasting and we have the same meal number one every single day and we have a little more variety for dinner. The reason we find this to be very effective is that early in the day is when the busyness of our days pops up. We get a lot of us get up and then we start to think about what's going to happen during the day. And then the whole routine starts. So we're taking care of kids, whether we're doing our own morning routine of, of whatever it is, we need something that doesn't require uh, willpower, decision-making and something that's simple, that's automatic and nutritious. So we have our members standardize their first meal, whether it's some kind of um, egg lower carb breakfast thing, or whether it's some kind of shake that they have in the morning that has a lot of good micronutrients and healthy fats and proteins that keeps them full. It's something that is delineated, it's written down, it's systematized, and it tastes good. And, and, it, and it makes you feel good. And so if you can have more regimentation early in the day, at the time where you're having most, the most amount of friction and busyness, you don't have to exert any mental willpower. Then later in the day, the day is over. You get home from work, you're relaxing. This is where you can introduce more variety because we need to balance consistency with variety. Because if these things get out of balance, we're too rigid for too long, it builds up this well of pressure and then people often binge out. At the same time, when there's no consistency in all variety, it takes so much effort to figure out what you're going to do all the time. So there is a yin and a yang to this. And we think that later in the day when people typically relax you can be more flexible with the kinds of healthy foods you have for dinner. But in the, in the beginning of the day, it's often good to have more standardization um, because it makes it easier to stay on track. Wow, that's really cool. I've, I've never quite heard it uh, described that way where you can have that balance and I guess make it easier to, uh, to, to buy in. I mean, the person has to buy in initially mm -hmm. and choose a breakfast that they really like if they're going to eat it every single time or the ingredients in their smoothie. And then knowing that, uh, when it's time to go out to dinner, they can choose between their, their, you know, many choices in the community mm -hmm. that they might feel like sushi that night. Yep. Exactly. Well said. And it's not saying the exact same thing every day, but if you even have two go-to options, three go-to options, but, but they're delineated, they're healthy, and they don't require a lot of willpower. Another way to think about this too is kind of paving the path for nutrition success is like every day, let's say the average person has three meals a day. And so there's seven days out of the week, that is 21 meals where we have to exert conscious willpower to decide what are we going to eat and is this going to be a healthy meal? And that's, these are landmines, I guess, for someone who's not consistent that are throughout the entire week and you have the busyness of your life on top of that. So if you can make a decision ahead of time and prepave that path to success, eliminate half of those decision points by having a go-to meal or preparing some of your favorite healthy foods in bulk, you're going to be successful. Because I think I have not yet to meet anyone who's come onto our programs, who's been struggling, where if I gave him this, them this thought experiment, I'm like, hey, look, if I showed up every time you needed to eat, personally knocked on your door and handed you your favorite plate of healthy food, like the stuff you love the best, and give it to you and say, hey, Brad, congratulations, it's noon. Here is your meal. Enjoy it. I know you're going to love this food. I'll be back in a few hours. And then I left. It would be wonderful. You would be like, oh, great. This is my favorite food. Let me eat this right now. And then you would, you would thrive and I'd show up again in a couple hours. That would work, right? Because it's your foods, foods that are healthy, foods you love, and it's delivered to you. Now, we have the ability to do this for ourselves. Not, not to the same extent, perhaps, but if Anthony on Sunday can decide Anthony on Wednesday is going to be a pretty busy guy. How can I pave the path for him? 
how can I pave the path and prepare those healthy foods so that when it comes to that mealtime, it's there, it's ready to go. That guy doesn't need to exert some busyness. It's, it goes by a lot of names. Some people call it meal prep, whatever it is, but it really the concept of it is however you do it, you need to pave the path to your success the week ahead. You need a simple plan that enables you to be proactive instead of reactive. You need to be able to balance consistency with flexibility. And these are the things, like I guess the art behind the science of healthy eating. The science we can get into which diet might be best, which metabolic fuel might be best. Uh, but the, the art of it is what enables people to be consistent. And quite frankly, if people eat you know, whole foods, nutritious, healthy foods that they love on this kind of schedule, they get healthier. And as you get healthier, your energy increases and your motivation increases. And the momentum that was once sucking you into this backwards black hole starts to be something that propels you forward. And an amazing shift happens in your life. We see it all the time. And it's a beautiful thing. But it happens to be this structure and habit stuff that I believe is so foundational. Very well said. Yeah. I mean, you you start building that momentum. And when you're really uh, tired and kicking back in the evening, you still have enough baseline level of energy and stress management to not have to reach for the pint of Ben and Jerry's. And I know, I mean, I can reference times when I was training too hard and was just, you know, felt completely trashed at the end of the day. And a lot of my discipline would go out the window, even staying up too late or eating more mm -hmm. junk food or uh, you know, whatever it is, when you start to lose that energy baseline to make good decisions, um, you can be, you become victim to all kinds of outside influences. Yeah. And let's talk about that late night eating too, because I think that is something a lot of people struggle with. And I, I agree with your point completely. Uh, it is when we are most vulnerable at the end of the day, when we're spent, when we're taxed, when we've used that willpower reserve on all these different decisions throughout the day. Um, and so a couple things, when we've talked about sleep and I was like, yeah, get better sleep. And you might be thinking, okay, cool. Thanks, Dr. A. I'll, I'll work on that really vague tip. But one thing to understand is is that the whole game of sleep is really more of a circadian rhythm and it's tied into our nutrition. It's tied into our light influences. And this is also, if we're talking about building the architecture of your proactive plan, this is kind of like the meta architecture. It's like as, as humans, we, we forget because we've advanced so much with technology in our houses that we are intimately connected with the environment and the changes of the light fluctuations of this planet. Like the sun and the moon have a tremendous effect on our neurophysiology, our production of key hormones, um, and our, our sleep cycles, essentially. So, um, and, and so does eating. Uh, so does eating. Our bodies, uh, during the during the nighttime, as we start to um, get into sleep, the digestive system goes into a rest mode. And it's not a good thing to eat late at night before you go to bed. Not because the calories are magically stored as fat as we used to believe, but it's really just because the digestive system is getting into a relaxation mode. And we throw a bunch of food. Uh, we've all probably had a big food huge meal afterwards and your body feels hot. There's a lot of blood flow into the GI tract to try to break all that stuff down and it can easily disturb the sleep. So what we like to have people do, regardless if they follow an intermittent fasting style framework, is after dinner, like after you have that dinner meal, whatever that is for you, you're done for the day with food. Like literally, if you need to, brush your teeth. Use your own laziness against you. Get in there, brush your teeth, you can have teas and whatever for the rest of the night, but the, well, after you brush your teeth and you sat down, the likelihood of you wanting to go get up the Ben and Jerry's and then be like, dang, I got to brush my teeth again, is, is you have a little extra guard in, in the routine. But the idea is mentally to establish that after that last meal of the day, you're done for the day. It's it. 
and you're going to have food the next day and you allow that system to get into this parasympathetic rest digest mode that's going to help improve your sleep and you're going to wake up the next day instead of feeling like bloated and like the guilt feeling of, oh man, I ate another bag of chips last night and I feel like crap, might as well just have the coffee and the, the crap breakfast again. You can wake up feeling lighter, leaner, more energized, and your body's ready to go. So um, I, I think managing that last meal of the day, shifting it a little bit earlier, which also gives you a longer fasting window, depending on when you, um, you know, you do your, how you do your nutrition timing is beneficial for human health. I think, that's, I think that's very, very well established at this point. Yeah, that's a big one. So it's really that the digestive system is not meant to be functioning after dark because it's so tied to circadian. Yes. Uh, now we have uh, new research that's just come out in recent years, digestive circadian rhythm, time-restricted feeding, and that's a big exciting thing in the uh, progressive health community. Uh, so that's the distinction between this, um, this previous notion that uh, calories at night turn to fat and calories turn the, during the day were burned off because you were busy. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the total energy balance is ultimately what's going to be the biggest determinant of, of like whether we're gaining weight or losing weight, but digestive health is so important, especially when looking at the longer term. Um, and, and the foods we eat have a, di- a dynamic impact on our gut microbiome, the kind of bacteria that, that thrive in those environments. And you just don't want to overload the system when the natural propensity of the body during that time is to go into rest and relaxation. And it's not to say you can't do, you can, it's not to say you have friends over and you have a late dinner one time at nine o'clock not a big deal. Heck, there are cultures, you know, you go to Europe, sometimes they're eating at midnight, right? But I, but I can say it's definitely not best. And I think that everyone also has their own unique um, flavor of a circadian rhythm. There are people that are shifted a little more uh, in certain ways. I think it's best for almost all of us to be as entrained with the sun's natural patterns as possible. When the sun goes down, we're starting to unwind. But that being said, you know, you could phase shift a little bit based on uh, your own natural predispositions. But uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's very important. You're going to sleep better too. You'll get more restful sleep when you're not throwing a bunch of food at the body late at night. Uh, and you're going to feel better in the morning. Um, and that's, that's just going to be a helpful thing for sure. So I could see how the same principles apply to one's exercise goals as well and putting those systems and patterns in place where you don't have to use willpower or creativity. I talk a lot uh, on the show about this morning routine that I've been doing for just the past four years. Um, you know, I think our neural pathways are are wired that fitness has always been a big part of my life. It's not an issue or a problem area mm-hmm. for me, like having the motivation to work out every day. Uh, but, you know, I've always kind of gone with the flow and decided what to do and gone with my whims. And, you know, sometimes I work out in the morning, sometimes I work out midday, sometimes the evening, whatever. Uh, but to lock into this pattern every single day, it's been a big revelation for me uh, because it's just turned into... Uh, such an automatic behavior that I just click into kind of a different gear. As soon as I wake up, I do it right away. And I believe that it helps me in a lot of other areas of my day being more focused and disciplined against all other forms of distraction too. Mm, So well said. And I'd like to bring a distinction because I actually have a similar process to um, to you in terms of having a morning movement routine. And I think for people out there who are struggling with exercise, I'd like to pull apart the difference between morning movement and exercise and formal exercise, because they are, they are different. They do serve different purposes. Um, exercise may be a specific training session you have using weights, using some kind of cardio, using intervals, something that's like you're designed to improve your level of fitness. 
morning movement is something that's far more foundational than that. It is that when we wake up, our bodies need to begin to move. We need to begin to move to start moving lymphatic fluid throughout our bodies. Our immune system uses the lymph system, all our, our hydration, et cetera. Uh, we need to start moving lymph and the body's stagnant while we're sleeping and motion is going to move the lymph. So this is why when we get up, we need basically three things. We need to start breathing. We need to get high quality water in the body and we need to start getting circulation to pump. These are like the three things I would say the body needs. And ideally some sunshine too, and some fresh air would be a very good combination there. Um, and so this is why having, even if you can't commit to like a full exercise routine, having something simple, like, I don't know how long your, how long does your morning routine take? Well, uh, thanks for asking. You know, it started with just this goal to do something every morning to get my legs, you know, uh, stretched out and, and working on my flexibility mobility. And I, I thought it was a five minute morning routine. And then we filmed it for YouTube. You know, my cameraman came over, we did an official session and it was actually 12. So what I thought was five was actually 12 minutes, but I enjoyed it. And it, it was so locked into habit that I didn't really realize the time. And so what I did over the last four years is slowly and carefully integrate more degree of difficulty movements, adding things that were particular for my goals of jumping and sprinting. And so now it's minimum 32 minutes. And sometimes I add on optional things to make it longer. So it's turned into not just this wake-up call where I'm doing the sun salute and then going about my day, uh, but it's, it's kind of turned into uh, a pretty significant workout mm -hmm. by itself. So even if I don't get a chance to do a proper formal workout later, I have this thing going seven days a week. And it's, um, it's important that I, I want to make that distinction between um, my starting point which was a really low bar to clear and very easy for me to accept and commit to it to what I've gotten to today. I had to grow there naturally because if you just throw something at a person and say, hey, do this 35-minute movement routine. It's really difficult. It's going to burn your stomach up. <laughs> yeah. um, they're not going to do it for uh, four years every single day without a break. You're so right. And I think a couple things that are in there is one, starting small. Two, the routine that you picked originally was aligned with your goals. It sounds like it was to increase mobility and flexibility as it's related to your athletic pursuits, right? Yeah. So so this is why it's it's good whatever morning movement you do choose to incorporate into your routine, that it should be something you enjoy. Like my mine personally is I, I get up, I, I'll immediately drink a little bit of water, um, some trace minerals, uh, and I'll have a little bit of curcumin in there, and then I'll walk my dog in the sun for 15, 15 minutes or so, 15, 20 minutes breathing through my nose. And then I have a, a quick yoga flow I do, and then I'll head into meditation. Um, but the key thing is not what it is. It's just the fact that you're doing something that's getting your body moving and breathing and some circulation moving and, and getting that body to, to get into that active state. That's kind of like part of that circadian biology at that point. And then you're right. Cause if you get so busy later in the day, you don't have time to exercise. At least you did something and you accumulated some movement versus if you have this all or nothing mentality that it's either I am doing formal exercise and I have time for that, or I got nothing, then you're really, you're doing a disservice to your body and your health by not getting this just healthy daily movement. And we look at the, like the longest living cultures on the planet, the centenarians, these blue zones, the pockets, of longevity, like they're not doing P90X. They don't have DVD <laughs> players, right? You know, they, they're not, they don't have finisher medals on their wall. They just have, you know, yeah, a they garden have, to tend to. I, I've gardened for a hundred years. Exactly right. And it's true like sunshine, but they are doing, a, they're eating, they're not eating, they're not overeating. They have sunshine. They have good family connections. They have a sense of purpose in their lives and, and they're moving their bodies in a natural way. Um, and so 
I think this is something that we can all in a fast paced, busy life where a lot of us are sitting a lot. This is something we can definitely incorporate a small morning movement practice. Don't even call it exercise. It is like a movement practice. It's almost like it's just checking the boxes of what the body needs for baseline functioning. If you have time later in the day for more fitness, great. Or if you find that as the practice grows, it turns into a workout after the fact, also great. Either way is fine. The key thing is you're building something in that you enjoy and that's sustainable and that checks the body's boxes of like, this is baseline, what I need for functioning. Well, I love how you mentioned the dog and I, I, I'm enjoying the last years of my dog now so much. It's just so precious that, you know, she's had an incredible life and she's slowing down a lot, but she still gets out there and we go into the forest and enjoy it. And mm-hmm. I, I was writing an article about uh, building up this morning uh, movement routine and realizing like the, you, you could place tremendous importance on your commitment as a pet owner to get mm-hmm. that dog out there to the extent that it transcends your own flimsy motivation or busy schedule. And it's like, if you can't do it for yourself, at least get the animal outdoors and, you know, sniffing and, and marking their territory and all those things that, you know, the animal deserves that if nothing else. And I think it's a really powerful motivator to look at something outside of yourself and your, your own needs and desires and, and busy schedule and say, well, you know, no matter what, I have to get the dog outside, <laughs> you know, uh, they, they couldn't go do their business and, you know, it's an easier cleanup than, than your home carpet or whatever you want to make up. But yeah, that's, that's a great way to start your day. And I think what, what more powerful motivator than looking in the dog's face and saying, Hey, I'm too busy today. Sorry. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to give you a rain check when they're all wagging their tail by the door. It just, I, I can't imagine doing that to my dog. <laughs> I know. I feel the exact same way. And I think there's a couple of things there. It's kind of almost relates back to that. Why that why motivation journaling thing we, we talked about earlier is sometimes when we're in a rut, we need to find reasons that transcend us. And this is why connecting your health to all areas of life, it might not be for you. You might be okay with how your body looks and feels, but is there, is there a deeper level of reason you're doing this for your kids? Are you doing this for your pet too? How does the, how does the whole architecture of your life fit into this commitment to do these things? And yeah, it, it's great. I love it. My dog has gotten me up every morning for almost uh, two years now, nonstop just because, and I enjoy the time really do. And, and they're great motivators. So get a dog if you want to get a morning walk in. <laughs> So everything to 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 date so far on the podcast has been fabulous uh, life information for anyone, and so I'm curious, uh, where's the uh, what was the impetus to focus on fathers, and then of course mothers, uh, the distinction between those two programs, and where does the um, you know where does the uh, uniqueness come in? Well. A couple things. One, um, I think the impetus originally came from seeing my dad pass at 42. And I, I, I saw that as being basically at the midpoint of his life. And I think for a lot of people too, this in the 40s and 50s can be like a, a very much a midpoint in life in the sense that you spend a lot of time building your family, building your career. And oftentimes that means that you've made decisions to put your health on the back burner. And now you're feeling your age. Um, and at this point you need to make a decision about what is the next 40 going to look like? And am I even going to be around? May I follow the footsteps of my own father? These are questions that are asked. And I think it's a critical tipping point because 
hormonal changes. We'll talk about men for a second are certainly happening in your forties, right? Testosterone down by at least 1% per year, maybe more with all the stress. We have decreasing muscle mass and you're still just as busy as you were. And you probably have some injuries from old stuff that's accumulated, making it a little tougher to exercise. So this is, this is the scenario, right? And it's no, it's no shocker why a lot of people struggle because there are a lot of forces here that make it easy if you do nothing to continue to be pushed downhill um, into this, this negative momentum. So I got so passionate because I saw my dad at that point. And unfortunately, he wasn't able to get through that. Um, and there's a lot of other guys who, who do have the opportunity to be around for their kids and their grandkids. And so that's why the focus was on Fit Father Project. So ultimately, and I, I've, I've tried to make this point in my philosophy, is I feel that well, we can talk about some of the biologic and, and physiologic specifics of why an approach might be more tailored to a guy in their 40s. But ultimately, it's a guy who has 10 years of a habit rut and, and, and is super busy and has some of these objections. So nailing this habit stuff is like the number one most important thing. The number two most important thing is then uh, finding a meal plan that uh, enables you to stay full, enjoy foods you love, um, and, and is respective to your calorie balance and your metabolism needs as, when you're at, in your 40s and 50s, which is probably less food, lower in carbohydrate, um, and finding those kinds of things when you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s. And then the exercise needs to feel good on your joints. So the same kinds of workout programs that uh, kids in their 20s can do is not the same that's going to work when you're, you need something that's still high-intensity, effective, but low impact on the joints. So there's specific workout routines and exercises we do um, that accomplish those aims and help guy, bring guys to a high level of fitness that they didn't think was possible. And it doesn't beat them down. It's like exercise that builds you up. Um, and so these are the things that make it specific. And then the other thing, as I say, we, we throw guys in community. We put all of our program members in these incredible groups. They're basically like fraternity groups and they, they get together and they get to support each other. And there's a brotherhood and camaraderie of, of, of having like-minded people in a similar stage of life who have struggled with a similar thing who are now rising up together. So that, I think that's like the magic sauce that makes it a little more specific to men over 40. We obviously do address things like testosterone, libido, uh, stress, et cetera. Um, and, and all of that together is, I think, what makes our approach effective. Yeah, I think you can get away with so much in your younger years. Mm -hmm. And so it's a completely different uh, approach necessary when you're getting into the higher age groups. Uh, I injured my knee this summer uh, from my aggressive high jump sprinting workouts. And I think I was throwing in some uh, crazy yoga stretches that really uh, was the was the major problem. And I was just talking to my doctor friend of mine because I'm getting so frustrated. It's been, you know, a couple months now of this injured knee. And I said, how long should this, you know, ligament strain take to heal? And he goes, well, if you're 20, a couple weeks. If you're 55, it's going to take at least three months. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, I, are you kidding? I, I mean, I thought about it and he's like, no, I'm not kidding. And boy, so, you know, taking the precautions, the injury mm -hmm. prevention movements, the, the necessity of warm-up, cool-down, all this stuff that yeah. we totally ignored when you know we were younger and walked into the gym. And if there was an extra spot in the pickup game, you're on the court three minutes after you parked your car yeah. in the parking lot with, with no problem and nothing, you know, nothing to worry about. Yeah. yeah I remember, uh, my, my son was running track, you know, he's in the, in the school years and, um, he had a horrible, uh, strain of his hamstring. He was running in the relay and he had to stop on the curve. And I'm like, Oh no, this guy's out for the rest of the season. It's going to be terrible. And then, uh, like a couple days later I saw him playing around. I'm like, how's your hamstring? And he's like, Oh, um, I, it's fine. I, uh, 
you know, which one was it? And he couldn't remember if it was the, the left or the right. And I'm like, okay, I understand now. We're, we're talking about a totally different paradigm. And, you know, it's, it's still hard for me to adjust at 55 to, to you know, accept that, that I'm in that age group and everything changes. So I, I love the idea of, you know, focusing on, on, that, on that club and yeah, doing those uh, sensible workouts rather than the crazy stuff and all that. In fact, yeah. I talked to a lot of endurance athletes and, um, you know, the Ironman is still the ultimate accomplishment for the triathlete mm-hmm. and you got to get that tattoo on your body. And, uh, if you're, if you're doing just Olympic distance or half Ironman, then of course you're progressing someday to enter that big one. And I'm thinking, you know what, after 50 years old, the Ironman should turn into a half Ironman. In other words, anyone over 50 should race that 70 mile distance instead of 140. And that be the ultimate accomplishment for those age groups, because the rest of it's, you know, continuing further is kind of ridiculous. And I don't think it blends well with uh, healthy living and, and yeah, balanced with health lifestyle. for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a true, true testament to how far can you push the mind and the body. But at that, at that point, it's, it's no longer about health, <laughs> <laughs> especially uh, over 50. You want to do yeah. crazy guy and climb Mount Everest when you're, you're 33. That's fine. But that's a, a little, a little rant on the side here, but um, uh, tell us about the, uh, the, the, the mother's group too. I think the recipe that we've kind of laid out here is, is very analogous, just like almost like the mirror for mothers. Um, you know, like the hormonal changes that happen in men are mirrored in women. Um, although they, they're a little later in onset and they happen a little quicker when they do happen. So some changes to estrogen around the menopause, perimenopause period. Um, I think the big thing that is key for women in their forties, fifties, and sixties is they need to strength train more than men do. Um, and this is something that is for, for here's what happens. I mean, guys carry more muscle mass than women and oftentimes carry more weight, which, you know, when you're very heavy, that is a weight bearing activity that keeps your bones strong. And when we have a lot of super heavy guys, like 400 pounders who lose 150, 200 pounds, they have muscle. They just never saw it. It's there. Um, but with women, it's a little different because I think there's a lot of women that don't have as long of a history of strength training. And as women age and estrogen levels begin to decline, the bones become more brittle. There's definitely more metabolic changes that happen. Um, and that's why we believe that high, high intensity strength training is one of the best things that women over 40 can do. Still needs to be safe, um, but it's, it's more effective. And actually, this is really cool. There was some research that showed there was fairly recent, last five years, that was showing about the, the sexual dimorphism between fat burning during cardio exercise, men versus women. And basically, men burn fat more effectively um, in the mitochondria um, than women do at lower intensity, long duration exercises. Women do what they can, but it's, they're, they're, it's a less of a good effect as men. And women do better with high intensity activity, HIIT training, and some like anaerobic strength training circuits seems to have the best lipolytic effect for women. Um, the lipolytic hormones just don't work as well with women with low intensity aerobic activity. And it's a shame because almost like the culture that we pushed throughout the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s was a lot of aerobics. And now we're coming into a, a time where women are realizing the value of doing higher intensity resistance training. This is something that we make foundational to our fit mothers. We have them do you know, squats, deadlifts, uh, shoulder presses, push-ups, rows. And it's not like they're going necessarily super heavy in weights. They're building up their form properly, but strength training becomes a part of their health maintenance routine. I don't know, uh, barring maybe an injury or some kind of specific medical condition, there are very few women that wouldn't benefit from strength training, even whole body once a week. 
If you could do twice a week, even better. And I think it's almost like necessity as we age and because women's bones will get weaker, estrogen levels will decline. And when estrogen declines, heart health declines too in women. So uh, it's, it's something women have a lot of health benefits through the early phase of life. It's why men die earlier. But after menopause, perimenopause and the hormonal changes with estrogen, women are at very high risk, if not higher risk than men for a lot of these things. And strength training kind of is a fountain of youth for women. So same thing, we help them get on the right kinds of meal plans with the right kinds of foods, we put them in accountability groups, and then we make sure they're doing the right kinds of strength training uh, that is enjoyable and make sure we build them up. Because most women who join our program can't do 10, 15 pushups in a row. But once they're with us for a couple of uh, months, they absolutely can. And it's a very empowering thing. Wow, that's great. And it, it seems the, the natural aversion when you walk into a gym, you see generally the females are working on the machines and climbing mm-hmm. the stairs and walking on the treadmill. And if you go look over in the weight area, uh, it seems to be sort of a male domain. It's very intimidating to someone who's not skilled in yes. the, the where to put the pins and how to stand. And um, so that, that's nice to bring it to the forefront, especially for the females. Yeah. And we, we, most of our members, you know, especially right now where the, a lot of gyms being closed or on lockdown, um, at the time of recording this, most of our members exercise at home. We, we show them how to do these, these metabolic resistance training workouts, MRT workouts, which is basically some of the best functional strength training exercises that we need to be strong at as we age squats, picking things up, pressing overhead, pushing our bodies, pulling our bodies. We have them do these with a pair of dumbbells or kettlebells and around five, 10 feet of floor space. You can do them in the gym or you can do them at home. Um, and this is a big part about making this almost like a habit too, is like having a designated spot where you have your weight to you know where you're doing this routine and it's automatic because we basically give you these kind of like pyramid style workouts where you might do one or two reps of each in a flow and you build up reps until you might get to six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and you work your way back down. And it's good because there's a built-in warm-up that's nice, gentle, and natural. And through the lower rep sets, you're getting the cardio effect because you're really doing a lot of anaerobic activity um, in a, you know, in a in a circuit while working your muscles, definitely challenging your mitochondria and building muscle through the resistance training. So it's just a really great effective way to train. It's structured and you can get these workouts done in 30 minutes and you definitely get a metabolic benefit for like 24 hours. So imagine if you can do this a couple times per week, one, two, three times per week, you have a younger metabolism. You know, you, you have to work at it, but if you're doing some more uh, exercise, you know, it's not like 20, you're 20 years old and your metabolism just works period. Um, but this metabolic investment is going to serve you for a long time. And we do know, at least certainly for cognitive health too, keeping your mitochondria healthy is so, so important. And, and that's why uh, working these muscles out in this kind of way and, and putting some healthy stress on those mitochondria is what's going to essentially have them adapt and, and grow in number and keep you healthy. Yeah, Dr. Kate Shanahan, author of The Fat Burn Fix, she talks a lot in that book and throughout her uh, material that mitochondrial health is everything because if you're not able to burn fat, it's not going to work when you clean up your diet. You're going to be hungry, starving, tired, and all those things. And I think that uh, could lead to huge breakthroughs if someone has not engaged in that high-intensity strength training and throws it in there and, and takes the baby steps that it sounds like your program really helps them with so they don't, they don't fry themselves. Um, they, they could see amazing breakthroughs even if they've tried to dial in everything else, the sleep, the diet, the calorie mm-hmm. consumption, all that. Yeah, it all works in concert. And again, like to make this a big picture, it ends up, we've covered a lot of different topics, but it, it can end up being pretty simple. I mean, so we, we take an investigation of our circadian rhythm. We write a mission statement. We standardize that first meal of the day and we take it, we do it, we do some kind of daily movement and we exercise one, two, three times a week. 
you know, like, and you build up to this. It's not like it all happens from zero to 60. There are steps to this thing and, and you build up and you build up in a way that enables you to sustain it. Not like these all or nothing plans. And I think that's really what helps people succeed. Dr. A, great summary, man. You got a good program going there. Um, I know you do a lot on YouTube. So uh, why don't you tell us the best way to connect with you? What kind of stuff we should look at and, and visit? Yeah, so um, we have fit, fitfatherproject.com and fitmotherproject.com are our two domains. You can also find us on YouTube. If you go to our websites, we have some amazing free resources. For men, we have a free meal plan, free workout that's basically going over the structure that we just talked about, plus a 24-minute workout with those dumbbells at home. Same thing for women, but we give you some extra bonus stuff too. Meal plan workout, and we have some other cool accountability coaching with that. And those are both on the websites. You'll find them if you go there, fitfatherproject.com or fitmotherproject.com. Um, I would recommend that would be the first place to start because we can send you those things. You can get started on that. And then we also have some amazing YouTube channels on Fit Father Project and Fit Mother Project. We have 600 plus videos, lots of great workouts, more me ranting on camera if you enjoy this kind of stuff. So um, lots of good stuff there. And um, I'm just happy to be here. And I, I really did enjoy this conversation. I think this info is stuff that people truly need. And I want to thank you, Brad, for having the platform to and, and the authority that so many people want to listen to you. Right on. Thanks for a great show. Dr. Anthony Balduzzi, go visit him. Mothers and fathers, whoever you are, join the club. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Make sure every salad is dressed for success with Primal Kitchen dressings and marinades. Versatile, flavorful, and unique, use Primal Kitchen dressings to marinate meats, dunk veggies, and add complexity to your favorite salads. With Keto Certified, Certified Paleo, and Whole30 approved options, finding your salad soulmate is a snap. Choose from updated classics like Ranch, Caesar, Italian, Balsamic, Honey Mustard, or Greek. Or get adventurous with aromatic sesame ginger, zesty cilantro lime, creamy vegan ranch, or tangy lemon turmeric. Avocado oil-based, these dressings, vinaigrettes, and marinades are an easy, primal-approved way to upgrade any dish. So use the code PRIMALBLUEPRINT to take 20% off your purchase at checkout.